Hey folks, one of the Redneck Country Podcast. You're on with Real Redneck Tom Millar, and of course we've got the almost guy, Real Redneck Bill Tom. Bill, are you there? I am here, and uh, it's a beautiful night for podcast. <laughs> Shut your mouth. It is definitely the opposite, <laughs> opposite of that. You've been working on the Beatle again, haven't you? <laughs> yeah, it was a frustrating day today, but we can get into that in a minute or two. But I tell you, it started here probably around four o'clock and it, it's these big dime sized white flakes coming down and I heard a snowmobile a minute and a half ago I think somebody's getting excited about the season again because, <laughs> gone, to buy, uh, gone to buy their trail pass again it's yeah. that, that summer of 2022 trail pass <laughs> holy it just it, it's the winter that never never really got established and it, it just never wants to quit so. I believe you. Every time you work on that freaking beetle and talk, start talking about it, the 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 summer and hitting car shows, it, it comes down like a blizzard. It gives us like we've got I don't even know half a foot kicking out when here. Is, the roads are when horrible. When did it start today? Just for a matter, you of know what? My kids were down today. We're home today from school because it's Easter Monday and stuff like that. And and I was on the computer all day. And I think Megan yelled down at around two o'clock and said, uh. "Holy crap, Dad! Look outside." Side. Yeah, it actually started a little before that. It started around noon, I think. Oh, there you go. Yeah, because I was working on the Beatles this morning right around 10.30, and I figured <laughs> that was the reason why everything <laughs> everything started. So, yeah, I had a, had a pretty good weekend. I got I rebuilt the carburetor again on the Volkswagen, on the Beetle, just thinking that there might have been a port that was blocked because I still can't get it to do what I want in the motor. But I started it today, and it is great in uh, cold or when the, uh, the the electric choke is, is on, but as soon as that choke comes off, she bogs right down and quits. So she's got lots of fuel, and I'm just frustrated. So I, I talked to a good buddy of mine uh, uh, in uh, Fort Erie, and he's agreed to uh, take it to his, uh, his shop and do a little bit of bench work on it. So okay, there's only so much I know how to do, and, and he's, he's a magician. So I'll take it to the magician and the and wizard you, and see if I can get something done. You sent me an interesting picture this week, Bill. Something your dad did for you. Yeah, you know, I didn't include your son on that for, for obvious <laughs> dad reasons. Dad told uh, me, dad told me. He was sitting <laughs> at the table. I didn't, I didn't show him the picture. <laughs> I didn't uh, want to look I, at it. I, I, yeah, my dad is a carpenter by trade, and he's uh, retired now, and he's got a, a lot of woodworking equipment in his garage. And I'd asked casually when he was down here in the uh, a few weeks ago um, if he wouldn't mind trying to make me a custom uh, shifter knob of uh, something with his his uh, skills on it so I can kind of have it as, as part of the car and, and sure enough he made a beautiful um, VW emblem uh, a period specific because there's <laughs> long story but there's different VW emblems for different year, years and the VW emblem he made out of wood he, he hand carved and, and crafted this piece and it turned out beautifully absolutely beautifully so I I test fit it last last night we were up at my parents place on the weekend with my brother and his family and and uh, and uh, I brought it home and first thing I did after seven hours worth of driving is I raced out to the, the garage and put it onto the car to see how it would fit and work and shift and man oh man I'm, I'm excited about that so yeah looks cool you can you can show them if you want, but I, I don't know if you'll I'll appreciate have to look now because I can appreciate the heritage of it. Yeah. Now you're going to have something your father has handcrafted in a vehicle that quite possibly will sit in your garage forever. <laughs> that's that's correct. Hopefully not like in the garage forever. Oh, no, I definitely in the, the garage. <laughs> Before I show them the picture, I'd like to say something, though. It'll uh, be a beautiful shift knob. With just something around it, <laughs> some, <laughs> some some inanimate object that just sits there. Well, before I show him the picture, I'd like to say this: Yes, my mic's hot. Yeah, I'm sitting here beside him, but it was not a good night for a walkover. I got dropped off because of the miserable, well, you miserable didn't weather. Let me introduce you. Yet we didn't get that far. It's Bill's fault because Bill is always the one no, that says nobody's right? fault. That, I just uh, I just didn't for expect anybody to be, so. that is listening for one of the first times. This again sitting beside me is the patriarch of redneck country my father real redneck don millard dad yes we know your mic's hot yes it's hot and i'm here yes and i didn't walk over it's too miserable you get chauffeured around which is all right yeah for, uh, for a day like today 
And when you get a certain age, it's pretty much always chauffeured around, right? You go from that to a walker, you kind of sit into a wheelchair. Chauffeur, it's a natural progression, right? I guess, eh? Chauffeuring's your thing. You just live in the high life at that point. <laughs> yeah, I just handed him the picture. Oh, that is pretty nice. Yeah. You know, I've been so, looking for some custom duck calls. I'm thinking I yeah, need to talk well, to your father. He's pretty expensive, but... Uh, well, they have to have VW on them all. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it. That's the only stipulation right there. <laughs> so, well, happy Easter Monday to you guys. I don't know uh, how you did this weekend, but I'm, I'm anxious to find out how, how the, if the Easter Bunny made it your way and, and you, you had a good weekend. Yeah, well, can't complain. Of course, the Easter Bunny came. It was absolutely insanity here as normal. And, yes. and uh, yeah, I, I really, I don't have any complaints. I bought the family. I always get a family Easter gift for everybody. Like last year, I think it was last year, I bought us all. <laughs> My wife's going to kill me when I did it. But I bought us all matching shoes. So we all had Pumas to, to wear. Oh, was that about. last year I think, it, I think it was last year. And wow. then, so this Easter, I got us all rollerblades. So we've been rollerblading around the neighborhood. So it's been pretty good. How's that been going for you, uh, Captain Underpants? Yeah, well, so there's a few rules in life that I live by that my wife oh, knows. Yeah. That yes, that and 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 every everybody that hangs with me knows this. Scotty has known this for a long time, and and he also participates if if it's called out that you do not turn down a double dog dare. That is just how it is. But if you give a double dog dare, you better know that one's coming back your way. And if the person does not turn down your double dog dare you cannot turn down their double dog dare and that's just how it goes my family knows this and this is a code that we live by so as we were getting for the, ready for the first inaugural rollerblade skate through the neighborhood and it was fairly chilly like we woke up easter morning to snow on the ground i figured you had lined up working on your beetle at some point mm -hmm. it was inevitable yep. so as we woke up for for snow on the ground we did the easter egg hunt and then i gave the kids and, and wife everybody the the rollerblades and bought myself a pair too so i came i said all right we're gonna get rocking and rolling let's get her done so better dress warm and i came up with a bunch of clothes and my wife said i was sitting in actually in my underwear and a t-shirt because i brought all of these warm clothes up and my wife goes i dare you to go out just like that. And I said, what are you talking about? <laughs> and so she says, I double dog dare. And I said, you know what that means? And then of course my oldest got on me. That's a double dog dare dad. You can't turn down a double dog dare. Well, now it's an ego thing. You're absolutely correct. I could not turn down a double dog dare. And it wasn't the fact that it was in my underwear as much as it was the fact that it was freaking cold out and they didn't think I'd go in such little clothing, but you can't turn down a double dog dare. So I did. And so as I said, all right, that's fine. I start lacing up my boots. My youngest is going, there's no way you're not going to do this. And she was all cranked up. Well, Jen then went live on Facebook and hence a video was born. And then she's like, I went live on Facebook and I thought, you think that I have shame that you went live <laughs> on Facebook? So I said, you know what? I downloaded that video and I posted it my friggin' self. <laughs> <laughs> to the horror of his mother and his aunt. So as we're out rollerblading, I get a text from my mom. Are you rollerblading in your underwear? <laughs> and so I simply replied, was rollerblading in my underwear. <laughs> yeah. Well, it is a good thing. That. Well, right. I good thing I got wheels and I'm fast because my gosh, the, the, you should have seen the line of women chasing me down the street. Oh it's every Lord. neighborhood out. Like it, yep, Jen's worst nightmare dang near came true. Yeah, no doubt. And you know, the cops showed up and take you into the funny <laughs> well, That was my only other concern. Indecent exposure. As cars are yeah. rolling by. One dude went by, uh, his wife driving, and that dude's head almost flipped off his, his shoulders when he went and I went. That was awkward. We made eye contact. <laughs> it's time to head back home and put on some clothes. Yeah, it's time to put some clothes back on. <laughs> Fast. Unbelievable. <laughs> so, so, yeah, yeah, so that was my Easter. It was uh, it was good time had by all. But, yeah, and then uh, it's just and guy code. You don't turn down a double dog there. Yeah, I guess uh, it's the code you live by. It's code you got to follow. That's for sure. It's a true so. story. So stay tuned for my family's revenge double dog dare. It will come. Yeah, well, we, uh, like I said, we, we ended up up north this past weekend. And it was, you uh, 
did because that was the Easter instead of egg hunting, you guys were egg shooting. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, we did a little bit of both, but that was it was good. Uh, Cheyenne, I haven't seen her since uh, Christmas time. There, she we picked uh, picked her up Friday morning in Kingston, or Candace did, and uh, we uh, went went back to my parents' place to spend the weekend with her and her boyfriend was there uh, from Kingston as well, and introduced him to the the world of the redneck country uh, family with how we how we roll on, on, on all our major, uh, <laughs> major get gatherings with shotguns, rifles and, and ammunition. So he, uh, he was a little nervous for a little bit, which was more than okay, but he did fantastic. <laughs> just more than okay. As, yeah. as you're down at the other end of the trap line, holding the shotgun, just staring at him as you load it, yeah. right? No blinking <laughs> deadpan face through slowly sliding that shotgun shell in the chamber. <laughs> I, I think what made him even more nervous is when Candace grabbed the trap gun and he pulled four targets right in a row. <laughs> so, you know. And then she know. looks down at him with the mad dog face on. I love it. Yeah, yeah, and my brother grabbed grabbed his shotgun and was was breaking targets, and you know really? we were all that's a shocker all for me, okay. actually. No, <laughs> yeah. uh, love yeah. you, Jay. <laughs> <laughs> but actually, the kid did all right. He, he was uh, nervous, but he was respectful and he was cautious, and he he. he, he held himself well for what we put him through for the weekend and and uh, he's in he the middle well. of nowhere with no ride out of there he didn't have much options <laughs> yeah i guess there is that <laughs> you know but <laughs> but he uh, he was helpful around and uh, we ended up dropping him off yesterday and, and taking that, that drive back home we were seven hours on the road yesterday but it was well worth it getting to spend the time with the family and, and gathering for the first time in quite some time so that's awesome fed fed well and and like I said, the Easter Bunny came and we went to church uh, yesterday morning. And it was it was a good time had by all. So, right on. Yeah. yeah. So, Don, how did you do this past oh, week? I, I had some fun this week. I uh, on one of my walks, I'm out on a day and and uh, around the corner, well, a couple blocks away, this neighbor I know, he's pushing this uh, snowblower out to the boulevard. And I'm across the street walking, and he puts the <laughs> sign, go. and I want... Here's wonder, your redneck story I, for I you, wonder, folks. Yeah, I wonder how much he wants for this. So I backtracked. I went across the road. Free on it. I went, free? This thing looked new. And it, it was, a you know, a, a good powered one, a good wide one. Oh, the you know? engine clearly, what, double that cc's of a Volkswagen. So anyway, <laughs> I, I phoned my son-in-law. I said, hey, Rick, get over here. Bring your truck. I need you. And so in the meantime, uh, this guy I know, I'm not going to say his name, but he come out and I said, hey, how you doing? He says, oh, good. I said, so you're giving this away free? He says, yeah. He says, I got a new one. And I realized that the pull cord was pulled out of it and that the electric start, the prongs were broken off the electric start. So I said, I can see why you couldn't get it started, but uh, was it running? He says, yeah, last time I used it. So I said, great. So I said to Rick, he pulled up, help me load this in your truck. We're taking this this thing home so rick went to his uncle's and and his uncle has all kinds of snowblower parts so he got a pull cord and and he got uh the, the mechanism with the prongs on it uh replaced those started right up and it runs really good so i put it in the backyard next to mine and then i said to todd i know your snowblower's not working and i said when you're going by someday stop so a day or so ago he stopped by he says what do you need and i said i want to show you this snowblower what do you think fired it up run good todd says heck yeah he said the motor's worth worth i don't know several hundred dollars well, i figured i could at least sell it to bill it's 800 cc's buddy <laughs> yeah well if it idles i mean <laughs> yeah, no. so i thought well that was a heck of a good find and uh well todd was there he was telling me that he's got rollerblades for the family and he's gonna- you get a set too oh gosh no <laughs> and he's chauffeured remember yeah, no, not, money not for me. I thought you were talking. I thought you were talking to Todd. No, I'm. I'm not on skates or rollerblades or anything. Not with these knees. I'll go down hard and I'll never get up. But anyway, he said he wanted to get out and play roller hockey with the, with the kids, and he was looking for some sticks and stuff. And I said, Hey, I this week I cleaned out two sheds and under the stairs in the basement. I said I got your old hockey sticks. I got two from when you were not too tall, and I got. 
two when you were adult size. He says, you're kidding me. I said, no. It's one and the same, isn't it? <laughs> well, pretty well much. played. I was waiting for that. Well, though. you know what? I was, looking at, I was looking at a picture from 1993 today, and he was a little guy. At 14, he was a little guy. I was little. I was like 80 pounds. Yeah. So anyway, I, I pulled these sticks out, and he went, these are my sticks. I said, yeah, when you were playing traveling hockey and everything else. He said, this is perfect. He so said, folks, they're on eBay. They're signed up. Anybody wants to go place a bid. So not really I found them <laughs> no. basement stairs. So he took them for roller hockey, and yeah, they were still in good shape. So he uh, he took them. So I had a productive week. Yeah, I got a whole truck back bed full of stuff to burn out of his sheds while I was there. At the yeah. same time, it came with a caveat: burn this, burn this, get rid of that. So well, it was one of the conversations we had when we were at my parents' place. Hey, you see that box that says your name on it? That's been here since. I'm like, I just keep it. Keep it here. I, I don't have any more room for stuff at my house. Just keep it here. <laughs> well, that happened too because I still got a box of once fired double A hauls that he's supposed to be taking, but he hasn't taken them yet. And yeah, been, also, been, well, you can uh, pass them right on to Bill. And also a box of uh, antlers on on backboards that I mount every time we shoot a Oh, we got the wall of bucks in the garage, right? You've seen it. I got to clean the garage. We haven't done our spring cleaning of the garage yet (laughs) so that I can get stuff out we can access. Why are you laughing? Why? Because I'm shocked and stunned that you have not cleaned your garage. (laughs) Last what spring are you waiting for? I got six or seven racks all mounted here that he keeps telling me he's going to add to the wall of bucks. Well, there ain't much room to add to the wall of bucks. And the funny part about that to me is I know what you've shot for deer in the last three years and there's no way that those deer are from the last three years so Todd has to clean his garage in at least four years <laughs> oh come now anyway Anyway, it'll be clean soon. But spring cleaning, that's the beautiful thing, too. I, yeah. I, I, side note, with dad grabbing garbage, like he walks every day all different places, and he always is coming home with stuff. It drives mom nuts. And then he's like, hey, I picked this up on the way. Can you sell this on Facebook? And he's forever sending you pictures between me and my brother-in-law to post on Facebook to sell for him that he picks up out of people's garbage or off the front lawn that you they put up. You give your dad a hard time to pick stuff out of the garbage. Yeah, well, so, when, when he does, yeah. So, but yeah. On, so Saturday, Saturday night or Sunday night? It's Saturday night. I Megan. You're retired. You don't know the day of the week. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's old through osmosis. Hanging with that. Anyway, so I had to give Andrew, Megan's friend, a ride home. And so I had gone for a jog earlier in the day and there was some stuff on the boulevard. And I said, you know what? That looked like good stuff. And Megan's like her room is pretty much like an apartment in and our you house. You didn't call me. Oh, it wasn't your kind of stuff. So, and Megan's room is like an, uh, an apartment. Like she's constantly buying. When I was 14, I was buying video games with any money, extra money that I got. And now at her, at 14 for her, she's buying her own bed and uh, a chair for her room and, or, or lamps. And like, it looks like a, I don't even know, like pottery barn up in her room catalog. But anyway, so. I said, this, it's perfect. You want to go look? Well, I don't know. It's quarter after nine. Andrew has to go home at 9.30, blah, blah, blah. I said, we'll, we'll go on the way. So I pulled up and they were all, I don't know, until I flipped my LED light bar on and lit everything up. There was wicker baskets and candles. And so the three kids hopped out of the, and they were like rummaging through that. Like it was like, it was an Ikea throwing stuff in the back of my truck, like crazy. So one, one, I went live on Facebook with that too. One man's junk is another man's treasure. So <laughs> they got a little bit of their grandfather in them. <laughs> That's, it's all good. You know, we, uh, we'll, we'll have that stuff uh, there when, when, you retire and then you can start selling uh, the stuff out of your garage and all the things that you picked up and wanting to get rid of on Facebook marketplace. <laughs> when I, when I clean it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you don't know what you have. Though. You know. I know what I got and where everything is. I mean, you know what? That was actually the, the funny thing my brother made mention of was when we were at your place uh, for, for goose hunt, it, it, it you can't lose it if it's all right in front of you out. You know, if it's just all spread all over the place, <laughs> you don't ever have to look in the drawer or box or anything else for, for what you need. It's so. true story. It's right there. Yeah. It's absolutely. ready for the taking. <laughs> so, you just don't have any that, room to use it or, or work on anything. That's all. 
What is this coming Saturday? This coming Saturday, ladies and gentlemen, is one of our favorite times of the year. It is our family family time. Um, what would you call it? Uh, I guess it's a tradition. It would be a family tradition since I was a gaffer that opening day of trout. And so a lot of people assume opening day of trout, you're going to get on a boat, you're going to go troll deep water uh, with all the jazz and the planer boards and all that crap. And but not for we hunt trout. So I'm pretty pumped because this is the probably the one day a year. And we really only do it one day. I mean, we used to go here and there, hit or I miss when we had a time. lot of it. But and, now, but, but now it's just opening day is when we go. And especially to this one particular spot we have, it's our opening day spot. We're the only ones that go in there. We got permission many, many, many years ago, 30 plus years ago. And so we go, we don't run into anybody and we hunt them. And so I think opening day of trout for us, it's like, it's just no one that we go. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. There's no questions. We're going, we're going to this spot and we, we will usually on a good opening day, we will limit out and throw back the ones that aren't bleeding so that we can continue to fish until we limit out and yeah. on, on brown trout, which for me around our area that is phenomenal there are so many people over the years i mean everywhere i've worked when you share pictures when you share stories when you go oh, you fish well here's what we and then when you come back with the pictures of of a limit of brown trout for like four or five of you depending on who all goes i mean that's like 20 brown trout and that's amazing and you show the pictures they're like where you go where did you get those? And, and they're the people that year after year, I know I got a couple buddies that, that they constantly say one of these, one of these years, we're going to be waiting outside your, your house or around the corner. We're going to follow you. <laughs> and they always say, Just where do you go? A, a beat on your, your classic <laughs> right? spots or your sacred spots. Well, there's one spot for in particular for brown trout. There is no other spot like it. They come up to spawn up in the little stream and we hunt them. And so I think this podcast will go on about how dad, uh, dad, Dad taught me this way, and this is how I've always known trout fishing. I didn't know there was other ways to trout fish. When you said trout fishing, for me, it was in a stream and it was hunting them. It wasn't out on a lake trolling at all. It never even dawned on me that's how people fish for trout. And because I'm so excited about this because so many people can do it and don't even know that this type of fishing exists because that they, they assume the opposite. They assume trout fishing is on a lake and you're going for big Lakers. And for, for us, it's not. And, and it's unbelievable type of fishing. It's my favorite. I mean, I'll do bass fishing like crazy and I enter tournaments and everything else on the kayak and, and I'll go walleye fishing on a boat in the Detroit river and all that jazz jigging. There is nothing that compares to hunting trout. And so we'll get into what that means versus, casting or trolling because it is not that it is straight up we're hunting trout but first i think it's good that dad goes on because the key to hunting trout the first thing you got to do is find the stream that they're in and then once you've done that once you know the streams then the technique comes and it is a it is a pretty special technique i know it took dad probably a, a couple years to actually get me taught on how to actually so that I could be successful because you miss a lot until you get the technique down but yeah and, and I want to go right back to, to you know the basics of like, to your point how, a new guy that, that doesn't find or doesn't know what to look for what are you looking for in a trout stream a trout location how do you know that trout are even going to be there for that for that matter you know and yeah, I guess you guys have got a spot that you've been there for year after year. But we got a, yeah, and we got a bunch of spots, right? We're, and yeah, we're not going to name them, do? unfortunately. Sorry, sorry, everybody, but <laughs> we won't name the streams. No, no, but that, that's good. You got to keep those uh, spots close to your chest. But my my question is, if you're new and you want to go find uh, a trout hunting spot, what are you looking for, and how did how did you find the spots that you were in? Yeah, you're up, Dad. Okay, first of all, you don't know whether there's trout in that stream or not. You have no idea. And so Todd says, now you go Google Earth. But we did the county maps. And uh, me and whoever I was fishing with, I have two or three buddies I used to fish a lot with, Ron and uh, Mike Ballinger. And Todd knows Mike. Mike's still around, and he's still a good buddy, and we still see each other all the time. But we would check out these maps, and you would talk to the old-timers 
Like, where have you found trout? Where and, and stop and talk to farmers. This little stream going by here. Do you ever fish it? Do you ever catch a trout? That's, you know, you get word of mouth. Yeah, I've caught a trout in there. Uh, never mind the kind. We didn't worry about the kind when we were first started looking. We just wanted to know if this stream held trout. Well, then, you want one with holes, log jams, cover, because trout really like cover. They like yeah, shade. Hold on. Define that holes and log jams so yeah. people know. See. When we first started hunting, too, or hunting trout, when we first started fishing them, once, there's a couple of streams we fished, once the sun came up over a hill or up over the trees and actually shone on the stream where we were fishing, they quit. You wanted first thing in the morning, as soon as it got light, but so there'd be no shadows. It would be all in shadow, no sun. You know what I'm saying? Like there'd be no. Yeah, no, I've heard that from uh, some of the the old timers in the magazines that I read that you want to be very careful as to where you're standing on the stream well, side. We'll get as, into that. To that. Yeah. But that's yeah, getting, I was just say, yeah, that, that's that getting a little is, farther. Yeah. I'd like to know this from from this, the time that you're. How did you find the spot to begin? To go, go ahead. Yeah, to find the holes. How did you find it, Dad? Like you're looking for holes. So uh, holes, the streams usually. In the spring, the streams are, are, are pretty shallow. I mean, it, it, you could have a good, we've had it before where we had torrential rain. We couldn't even, we couldn't even fish the one, this, yeah. this one day. Only even see one the time all in, in 30 plus years, it was so flooded. You couldn't even know where the stream was. You can't fish that. The water's moving way too fast. You right. don't know where the yeah. log jams are and the holes. And that's the key. The stream is so shallow in areas that it's just running over rocks and stuff like that. Like, uh, or, or, you know, it's too two feet deep or so, but then where are the trout going to lay? Well, the trout are going to sit in that stream, but down where the holes get into four feet or five feet deep. And so, you know, and, and that's the point of walking along and fishing it, but we'll get into that is you're looking for those holes. So where are they? Well, I, I don't know how dad found all these streams that we now have locked in on. Right. And there's, there's various ones through Southern Ontario that we know we can go and we're going to catch rainbows in this one. We're going to catch Browns in this one. And it's kind of how it works for us, but only because dad just stopped and decided, Hey, that looks like a trout stream. So what does a trout stream look like? Well, I mean, the one we fish in areas, it's four feet wide. In other areas, it'll make a bend. It'll be maybe 10 feet wide. But then in spots, it's only two feet deep. And in other spots, it could be up to six feet deep in, in the holes, in the little back eddies and, and stuff back like that. eddies and there's corners like it, make, it winds and there's overhanging brush and undercut banks and log jams and and you got the flotsam down like a tree falls in and there's branches in the water from the tree and it causes a flotsam jam and they lay under the flotsam jam. A flotsam jam? What yeah. is yeah, that? <laughs> He's making up words again. No, I'm not. We, so. we, we did this. We, we went this route. Flotsam. It's no, where we didn't go flotsam. Grass and bark and twigs and everything. How do you spell flotsam? He's going to look it up on the internet to see if you're lying to him or not. S-M-A-N. Flotsam. Just like it sounds. And it's grasses and twigs like and stuff, and it so just goes up against the trees, and then pretty soon you've got this matted area of bark and stuff laying on the water. And we've always called it flotsam, and you you don't know what's under there, and, and you lose a lot of hooks. Oh my gosh, flotsam is defined as debris in the water that was not deliberately thrown overboard, often a result of a shipwreck or accident or logs floating down a river. Yes, sir. Wow, yes, sir. this flotsam. is why we have your dad on. There. Look at the vernacular being pulled out of this. He can't remember. He's talking to Bill and Todd, but he can remember flotsam. <laughs> yeah, because you look for those. You look for those areas, and you try to get a worm in underneath there without getting all hung up in the branches and losing your hook. My gosh. Okay. In in this water, while you're walking, are you looking for uh, bugs or uh, little... no, I'm not a fly Never seen it. No, never see him at all. No, I, I'm not a fly fisherman. I've done it. I've tried it. It's fun. 
but I am not a dyed in the wool fly fisherman. I use worms. Yeah, this isn't the Grand River up in no, like no. so in Ontario, right? Like, the reason why I was asking that question was that would give you an indication if there's bait fish or, or something for them to eat that you might be in the right spot with it. Yeah, for the fish, most but you're part, not looking for that though. Well, no, for the because for the most part, all these streams got pretty much like chubs or horned ace, whatever you want to call them, right? Oh, I see. And okay. the brown yep. trout, they are so vicious that they just attack everything. So if brown trout are in the water, and, and we'll know, you'll even know the difference. In a brown trout stream where we're fishing and we're pulling in browns, we are not catching a whole lot of horned ace. Right, chubs. Yeah. It's just it's not happening because the browns are vicious. They're eating the horned ace. They're not there. They'll you eat go each to other. you go to a stream where there's rainbow trout, which we have another one that we that we fish all the time. And there's some browns, but the majority are you're going to pull in are going to be rainbow. We just know that. And you go to that stream, you'll catch a lot of horned ace because the rainbows aren't as vicious as the browns. Hmm. Yeah. So, anyway. but, but that's your bait. But we're just using worms. So, I mean, I'm telling you what, it's a $45 rod from your local department store. If you want, there's nothing special. I, I use, we've, I've never used braid. The, the key is, and now we're going to get into the technical side. So I, I, wait, before we do that, have we covered how to find a stream? Pretty much good luck. You just got to fish it and figure it out, yeah. but you're looking for a stream that runs and has back eddies because those fish are going to hole up under log jams. They're going to hole up in the deep water in the back eddies where the current's coming in and they can sit there and attack the bait that's getting washed in. With Ron and I, we would we would get a lead on a stream, like a farmer or somebody said, oh, yeah, I pulled out a trout out of there, or, yeah, I've seen trout in there, or whatever. And even when I was camping in the spring in the campgrounds, I'd ask people in the campground, the owner, the streams around here are holding any trout? Yeah, oh, there's, there's some guys get trout over there. And so you fish that stream. Your confident level now is up a little bit. You really fish hard for them. You hunt for them in the in the undercut banks, and you do everything you can to get one on, and then that confirms there's trout in there. But after we've gone to one of those streams and we catch two or three trout or whatever, even if we got our limit, uh, then we've crossed other streams on the way there and on the way home that we think, man, I wonder if there's trout in that one. That one looks good right there on this intersection. And if we didn't have our limit, we would stop and spend an hour on the way home. And often they would not pan out. We would not even get a chub or anything in that stream. We would not catch well, anything. Or it doesn't hurt this, to do the research with your boots on yeah. the ground, you know? So you spent a lot of time uh, fishing, sometimes fruitful, sometimes not. But every time we found a stream that we knew held trout, we would we would apply ourselves till we got a couple. Then we'd say, okay, let's go try this one now. Let's waste some time and see if this one's better, worse, or whatever. See, so, back then, too, you didn't have the access to, like, Google Maps that you had because you're typically – I could probably sum it up by saying they they need deep water to live normal through the summer. So if that stream is just constantly a stream forever and isn't close to deep water somewhere. Yeah, I was going to say, this has to feed into something. Right. It's got to feed into a tributary of the Great Lakes, back into the Great Lakes, or into a, a deep reservoir like a dam somewhere. Right? Yeah. So they're not going to live in that stream. And, and when you're fishing, when season opens, which is this Saturday, it's because spawning season is just ending. And you're catching the ones that have stuck around it up when they've come up to spawn in that shallower water. And so we'll know that if it's been nice for you know, a month before opening See, day. And like, I was just going to ask that question. I know your dad keeps pretty good track of everything that you guys have done for fishing trips, but the weather leading up to this opening day this, this year has been very, <laughs> it's all over the map. Exactly. As long as a constant, it's the water temp. Yeah. It's the water temp. So as long as that water temp stays cool, <laughs> they'll stay up the stream longer, but on yeah. years that Holy crap, it's been nice for three weeks before, trout season and no rain and no rain that what that that water got shallower it obviously got warmer right because you haven't had the cold rain you haven't had the the water coming down from up 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 further north to to flood it out from from raining into that cold water and really increasing the flow of the river higher so the water's going to warm up those trout are going to go back earlier now this year i'm hoping 
we're going to be rocking and rolling because it's been, it's been cool enough. It has not gone to that warmth, warmth, warmth yet. Right. Like I know I was in the Detroit river last week and it topped up to what? 46 degrees, 45 degrees. That's still pretty cool. And so hopefully it's going to stay that way in the stream. Like the stream's going to be a little bit warmer than that, but not where other years it's been warm coming up. And we've had years where I've had ice on the tip of my rod that I got to keep putting my rod in the water to get the, the ice out of the eyelets. And then Before we've had other reel, years yeah. where you're sweating. I mean, you're fishing in t-shirts. Yeah. It, it, this is just one of them years that I'm, I'm really interested to see uh, the, the, uh, the results that you guys have on Saturday based on the lead up to, yeah, to this and, weekend. And we it, won't even know this year. Cause it's been it, so weird. It bothers yeah. me every year because like Todd said, once we went down, we couldn't even get to the stream. Uh, it was a, like there was a footbridge that we would cross the stream on and it was six inches under the footbridge. It was like 30 yards on each side of the bridge. We couldn't tell where the stream was. You could drown yourself if you tried to <laughs> find the edge of the stream and went into it. And there was a pond on the other side of that footbridge. And I said to Todd, don't even cross the footbridge because it's you could step into the pond and not even know it, even though you got waders, because you were over your knees in water on the other side of the footbridge. So in this year, especially with this snow today, is there going to be a lot of runoff before next Saturday? Are they going to be too, is the water going to be too high and murky? Is, or is it going to be just right? You don't know. And last year, I looked at the stream and I thought, oh, it's perfect. We can see the holes. The, the back eddies aren't real fast. But we didn't do really good because it had been that way for two weeks. So a lot of them had come up and gone back already. We got fish, but we didn't get our limit. Yeah, we got fish, but we didn't get our limit. So this year, what's it going to be like? You won't know until you get right down there and look at the river on that morning. You aren't going to know. And you're just going to hope that you can, you can well, in fact, some streams, and, it's, and again, put in the time, because where we're going to be Saturday, we know where the holes are. You know, we, we got, I got a spot, right? We've done yeah. it for 30 plus years. I've done it for 30 plus years. Dad longer. I got a spot that I start at. Dad has a spot that typically he would start at. And, and so if we're going to get into the technique, when we're, we, we, you don't fish one spot, you're hunting them. So you're walking the river the whole time you're, you're walking and, and you are spot fishing on for those back eddies, which is the water coming in and hitting a corner and spinning around, right? Where the, the fish can pile up in there. And as the water flows into that and swirls they can catch that the bait fish or the debris or whatever they're the, the worms whatever's coming in there right yeah. and and attack it and then you're fishing under log jams where they're just laying chilling and that water is funneling under that log because that's the current and all of that debris will suck right under that log and they can attack and eat there under and, the flotsam and under the under the the flotsam, but, or in the rapids, even yeah. I I've caught my biggest rainbow out of out of rapids yeah, that was, were only two feet deep, and 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 you couldn't see that rainbow. It blended in with those rocks, and Dad's yelling at me, "Let's go, Todd. Well, that's it. Let's go." And I'm I'm famous. Well, I was for, getting dark. I'm, I was ready to go home. I'm famous for. Okay, five more minutes. Five more minutes. Yeah. And then well, one, one more cast. cast. One more cast. Todd, one more cast, Millard. I'll take that one. So one more cast. And dad's going there. You can see the bottom. And next thing I know, I feel the tap. I set the hook and I pull in the biggest rainbow I've ever caught right out of that spot standing right there. One more cast worked. And when you're walking <laughs> the stream, it, again, every year is different. Sometimes you can see in the runs and the fast water, it's a few inches. You can see the bottom and you walk by it and you're looking for it and it starts to get a little deep and you can't really pick anything out in there. Then you start to fish. But there's other other times when those fast runs and you know they are and you know it's a rocky bottom where you can't see the bottom so you throw a worm in and let it go down because there could be a fish laying there you just you just don't know so those days you're fishing a lot more water and it's taking you a lot more time because you don't want to walk by anything sitting in the in the fast water it's and that's the beauty that's why i'm so excited for it because it every it's like when you're sitting there hunting deer and you're in a good spot 
you can imagine a deer stepping out from various spots at when you're sitting in that tree stand, right? You're looking and you're like, a deer could step out there. A deer could come from there. A deer could come from there. And you're, and you're pumped. The more opportunities where a deer could come from, the more pumped you are. Well, now take that same theory and you're hunting trout and now you're making it happen. <laughs> That's like our coin phrase, but you're making yeah. it happen because now like I'll go start at a spot and we'll all have our spots and we typically will leapfrog each other down the stream. And so I start at my spot that I know every year I start there. Cause I mean, you could continue walking up the stream forever. When do you start? So I have a spot that I start at that. I know how many hours it takes me to get back to meet dad and everybody where we have lunch and then we'll fish a little bit further. And then we'll, we'll usually call it by, you know, 11 o'clock. But so we're there at first light. And like dad said, before the sun's up or anything, cause that's when the fishing's good. You, if that sun hits the stream. It will either turn them off or slow it down. But you're, you're looking for those back eddies. You're looking for those, those log jams. You're looking for the runs. And, and so I'll and start runoff, runoff streams. That, that come into the stream. The feeder bring, streams. Yeah, we call them feeders, but this, it's water runoff. Sometimes it's just a drain from a pond, from a farm pond and, a pond, and it overflows and the water runs off into the stream. Well, it brings down food into the stream right there, and they lay at the mouth of that. And I can remember a friend of mine, George Barrow, I talked about him hunting. He never caught a trout. And I said, okay, I've got a stream that, that has uh, mostly rainbows. You might get the odd brown, but mostly rainbows. And we'll do a little bit of fishing. And so I said, here, you sit right here. And, and we walked way back in. He's, are we going to fish this? No, nope, we're getting off the road. We're going to walk back in a mile or two and then start fishing where people give up walking and give up fishing. That was the other thing. Walk past the traffic. And I said, there's a little feeder stream comes in. Sit right there and just throw your worm in and let it do its natural thing and watch for the line to do a different move or stop or whatever and then ease up, see if you can feel the fish. You do not want to have tension on that line. You want that line just to do whatever it can do. And anyway, he felt a little bit of a tap when he reeled up and he'd caught his first rainbow at that feeder stream. Well, that was 40 years ago. And then when did Scott catch his first one? Just a few, few years ago? It was like we went. It back was that in, same spot. Same that I spot. Caught. Yep. And it, but the water was so high and fast. I had no faith in in it. It was we where had, I caught my first rainbow. It was in that same <laughs> run. And so I said to Scott, he had never caught a trout. And I said to Scott, okay, if you're going to catch a trout at all today, it's going to be right here. I said I'm not even going to fish. Todd, he's moving. He's looking for a I'm hole. way upstream. So so anyway, about five or ten minutes, Scott says, I got to tug. I got to tap. And he let the line go, he closed his bail, reeled in, jerked the line, and he caught the biggest brown he'd ever caught in his life that day, in that same spot. It was it a brown changed. or a rainbow? It was a brown. No, it was a brown, because it had a hook yeah, jaw. It yeah, was it was a, a good 20-plus incher. Yeah, and uh, I mean, it never changed in 40 years. That's still the spot, right at the bottom of, right at the outlet of a feeder stream. So, that, that, that bring it bring it back. So, Dad started to talk about technique a little bit, and I was holding off on that. I'm sitting here waving my hands going, hold on, you're going too fast, because now you're into stories and telling technique that we don't want to lose the listener on. So, you you found the stream, you found back eddies, or, you, or you're a, about to attempt a stream, you found the log jams, you see the runs, you see the back eddies, you see the, the feeder streams. Well, what do you do? Well, like I said, the, uh, the gear doesn't matter. Dad's using the heaviest spinning pole it's oh, that, yeah. that you can dream of. I mean, this thing is super heavy action, which you would typically not think about using because it's almost uh, like you're drop shot in bass, right? Yeah, I was thinking that you'd want to use a light finesse. No, yeah. you don't care about the broad uh, bending the to, sensitivity. to notice the tip. You, you feel it. So he uses the thickest, heaviest rod on the planet. Like, and I mean, this thing's, I don't even know. It's, it it's might be 67. It's a medium. Sure, one, it is. 70 years ago, it's medium action. This thing yeah. is like a tree branch. So he's got that. The line, he uses 20 pound mono. Oh, yeah. Like, I, I honestly, Bird's Nest City, because it's like as thick as you could imagine. I'm not that guy, but that's what dad uses. So if you don't bend your hook out on a log and get the hook out straight, then you're losing too many hooks. So well, I want to bend the hook and then bend it back with so a pair of pliers. Again, he's jumping ahead, but bear with me. So he uses a heaviest rod on the planet. He uses 20 plus pound mono, which is the thickest line on the planet. And when it spools up, I mean, it, it spools, right? I mean, it, it will wind and it has memory and it sucks, but 
it works for him. I use, I, I really don't even care what rod I'm using. You're literally letting out at the most, barely 20 feet of line if you're on a long run, but you're usually got 10 feet at the most because what you're doing is you want to judge how fast that water's moving. And then you want to make sure we use split shot and put it, pinch it on the line about a foot up from your hook so that that split shot goes down and it's just enough to bounce along the bottom with the current. But that worm on your two aught hook, dad's religious. We got to have two aughts. I'm sure others work, but this is what we use two aught hooks and we pile the dew worm on. I mean, a big clomp of worm, huge, uh, not little. Big, massive you amount. You don't use half worms or nothing. Not a chance. We, we go down with five dozen, six dozen a piece. And so you're putting a glump of worm on there and in a two-odd hook and, and probably five or six packages of two-odd hooks. So we tie it on, away we go. You drop it in with some split shot, about a foot up your line, maybe a bit higher, just so that worm is waving off, just off the bottom. And then you want to bounce that, that, that split shot and you control it. So you open your bale, you drop that worm down right below you. I drop it straight down into the current. And then I slowly with my hand, my, 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 my index finger and my thumb, I hold the line and I slowly let little bits out little bits out and I may have to bounce bring my tip up just a bit to keep that split shot moving so it will go with the current and just let it go and then once you get to that log jam you want to just really slowly feed it under that log jam so I don't let out too too much line and you're holding it with your finger your your index finger and your thumb with your with your bail open on a spinning reel bail open the whole time because when you feel all you're going to feel is a tap tap of that that's when that trout's taking it and that will tell you they'll come up and they'll touch it and if they feel any tension back because they'll take it and they'll roll and as they roll if they feel tension they just open their mouths and let it go but if you feel that tap tap you let go of that line the bale's still open when they roll they can take it with them then you i slowly close my bale i don't make a sound i don't want to throw vibrations down that line i'm a little anal when it comes to that i close my bale slowly i wait maybe a half a second to a second i start to reel up really slow and if i can still feel that fish there Boom, I set the hook and then you pull them in and you pull them in fast because they are going to wrap them. They're like little muscles flipping and spinning and jumping (laughs) under that water. You want to rip them out of that log jam as fast as you can so they don't have time to wrap you around a branch. Yeah, and then that's that's part of the other other experiences. Now you're now you're going walking and trying to get to the end of your lab and you knew you had a fish on it. Well, and I've got stories on that with Dad that I can tell. I'm sure I've I've shared them before, but I could I'll, I will share them again when we get there. That yeah, yeah they wrap around branches and you don't want to lose it. You're getting naked and you're going yeah. in. And, and and this you're time doing of year, everything you need to do. You got it. That water is not warm. Let me tell you. So, but yeah, but that's the technique and, and it took a long time for me to get onto that because you feel that tap, tap and you let go of that line. If you weren't quick enough to let go of that line and, and that trope felt you, well, it, it, chances are it let go. And then when you go, it's not there. And I swear I felt a tap, tap. I swear I did, but, but I'm not sure now. Was it the bottom that I was bouncing on? And so when dad says he uses really heavy line and he's straightening hooks because if he, and the reason we go with five, six packages of hooks each and five, six dozen of worms each is because if you're not breaking hooks off, if you're not snagging, then you're not fishing where the trout are. So you just got to be, and that's why when I was a little gaffer, it sucked for me to fish this way because you're constantly tying on hooks constantly because that's where the fish are. They're in the log jams. They're down in where the debris is, where the crap is. They're hiding in there. So you got to fish that hook with your split shot and you got to fish it under. You're using your rod tip and not putting it in the water, but keeping it low and trying to, to jimmy that worm, pulling the line back a bit, just having enough split shot that it will hold on the bottom. But when you do a nice little jig with it and lift it, that split shot comes up and it moves in a couple inches under the water. And then you just let out a little more line, give your, your rod tip a little bit more bump and it will move that split shot down further. So you're staying low, getting under that log jam, but controlled. And so when you get under there, well, that hooks, it's floating. Uh, it's, it's got a foot of line that it can spin and hook into logs or hook into 
a stick and all that junk down there. And so you're going to be breaking off hooks. So if you're straightening hooks, dad's got pliers. He'll just start to reel in and reef that sucker out of that log and then straighten the hook back because he doesn't want to tie a hook on. <laughs> so well, that's part of the game is, is, is learning how to tie quick. Well, and that's it. And being young, I mean, who, who at 12 years old wants to sit there tying on 30 hooks in a day? Yeah, right. And that's extreme, right? I, I, not 30, but, but enough. I mean, enough that you're like, oh my gosh. And, and to this day, there's, there's opening days that I've, I just, I had enough. I'm not going to, I'm not going to fish that spot. I'm not even going to, I'm done tying on hooks. I've had enough. And then there's other times where I'm like, that's it. Right. And you're constantly snagging and snapping line and snap. And then you got to retie on, put a, put another worm back on your hook and put the split shot back on and make sure it's all right. And then drop it in. And the weight of that worm will affect that too, right? You get a big clump of worm on there. You might not need all that split shot now. That's right. And so it's, it's, it's all that judgment of you got to do it to learn it. And I can't tell you because it's based on how fast is the stream moving? How is that split shot and that worm working on the bottom? And there's days I guess wrong. And so all of a sudden up my, you know, my brother-in-law or dad or Scotty or somebody's catching more fish than me. Well, how much split shot you got on? Yeah. That's a common question. How many shot you got on? How big are they? And then how high up? Oh, how, that's what, okay. Hook. Well then you take that off. Next thing you know, you're getting hits. And now you're catching fish. The main thing is, before you handle your worms, hey, catch a fish. Catch well, a fish. Or, catch a, yeah. or dad's got some secret sauce. Well, that's We've what talked say. about this before. Disguise the, the scent on your hands somehow. And the best way that I used to do it when I first started, I noticed that if I caught a horned ace or a sucker or even a perch or something, I would rub that fish all over my hands before I put another worm on and then all of a sudden boom I started catching fish and you would clean out that hole if you were fishing rainbows you would clean that hole out of three or four horned days maybe even a couple small suckers before a trout would hit well you had lots of chances to get fish on your hands now I start out with some kind of a uh, uh, an oil or whatever to, to take the scent off of my hand and before I handle a worm. And then and if you're brown trout fishing, you're not going to catch a lot of those chubs. Lots of times your first hit will be a brown. So you want that first hit to be early. So you want to get that smell off your hands. And that's a proven fact that, that uh, a fish can detect scent. And they, they did a test and I, I kept the book with the study in it. At the bottom of a dam where fish would congregate at the bottom of a fish ladder and they would take bear scent and just put two drops of bear scent at the head of the dam that pool would disappear take hours before the fish would come back up then they'd stick in deer deer scent nothing they stayed there and then they had a, a forestry guy go down and just rinse his hands and rub his hands in the water poop gone pools empty so they surmised from that that they can detect scent in the water and it from our results, we always started out now disguising the scent on our hands. Do you do the same thing when you fish other species too, or just trip? The same thing when we fish other species? No, we don't. You know that? I probably should. We, I, we've talked about this before. We should probably bottle Dad's secret scent cover for fishing and sell it. It might be something to do, because I'll tell you what. It makes a world of difference. Huh. That's interesting to me how, how that study showed that dramatic of a, a response because you, you you know you, you you get on to the, your boat you put your gas line into the the motor you do all that stuff and you try to rinse your hands off a little bit but gas as you know is just hard to get off absolutely you, you touch your coffee cup and you know you have a donut or something and you're on, on not you i mean it's six cheeseburgers with you but <laughs> anyways you, you, you have something like that. All that stuff is you try to get it off, but if there's any of that, does that affect the, uh, the what you catch, right? I mean, that, that's an interesting well, you side know, note to this. My grandfather did that, and I didn't even know he did it because I was just a little guy. And I can remember one day just having fun looking at all the plugs and everything in his tackle box. And he would he would typically just, just fish for uh, catfish. And he had a little bottle in his in his pack and I thought what the heck is this in your tackle box and it was labeled anise oil he said well that's what I put on my hands before I touch my bait or my lure and and I didn't understand why then but anyway he did it well that's interesting then. yeah 
Yeah, it's, it, it is good. So, so that leads us, the, the last thing to bring up is what you were talking about with the sun hitting the water. So dad will say that when you come up and, and once that sun does come up, you're going to have sun on the water. It may turn them off, right? Just because they just, it, whatever reason, they, they feed through the night, then they relax in the day. Or they'll move to the pools where there is no sun. So now, you know, even easier spots to be able to hunt them. And that's why I say it's hunting them because you're walking the stream looking for these spots and you're only dropping your line in because the stream, you could darn near in, in many spots, reach right across with your rod. So you, dad's biggest thing is when that sun comes up, watch your shadow. You do not want your shadow hitting the log jam or the hole or the run where you're going to fish because that shadow comes onto the water and his theory is it spooks them. So makes sense. You've got to come up from the backside. Yep. Sorry, Bill. Yeah, no, it absolutely makes sense that the, uh, the shadows are, it's, it's, it's movement. It's danger. It's, you know, a, a predator on the side of the water, maybe leaping into the, I mean, this is, millions of years of uh, of uh, fishing animals to get trying to get along with each other and if they see a shadow it's like a deer having a, a smell in the woods or a snap twig that's danger to them and, and they're gone yeah and they're on yep. high alert yeah i can see it i can see it so so that becomes another factor once the sun comes up is you got to come up to the hole from the opposite of the shadow way so it may mean fishing upstream and trying to get your worm up past. So you're now you're, you're tossing your worm because you're opening your bale and you're kind of flicking it and you're tossing your worm up in front of the pool and then fishing it back. So it's, it's different techniques, but it's all pretty yeah, much the same. Yeah, it's the reverse of what you start off with. I mean, you'd in the dark, you'd fish upstream one way and then coming back in the light, you'd, you'd, fish, you'd fish downstream or whatever. Yeah, for, you'd have to be yeah, very, very cognizant, right? So the, 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 the stream we go to opening morning, it rolls like it's got some horseshoes in it and everything. So in some spots, you could still fish the same way. In other spots, your shadow's going to come. When you walk up to the stream in that hole, your shadow's going to cast. So you got to come up from behind it and fish and allow your worm that's a little more difficult because now when you throw it out there you don't you can't have all of that line let out and still feel the hit right so now you're having to close your bail or you're having to pull no, line 20 back pound test line on. well dad's using 20 i'm using eight to ten <laughs> right but so i mean you could probably use braid even better nowadays but I don't know. I, I don't want a bird's nest with braid when I'm out there, but I, I, I probably could throw some braid on and, and be okay. But I, I use eight to 12 and I use the green color trilene because it matches the color of that stream, I think. And I've been a lot more successful once I switched to that. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's 30 years worth of trial and error right there. So you're coming up with something that's sort I mean, you don't want to use braid out there based on what I'm hearing for the sound. Every time you get a snag, you'd be, <laughs> you'd be tearing your hand off of the, the reel. Oh, yeah. I, I'm, I'm, you'd be straightening hooks, I think with the braid. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a bit frustrating in itself. But, but when you do got to retie, it's a pain. I hate retying braid. So yeah, you, know. you meant to mention this earlier, but how many, how far are you walking in a day uh, up and down street? You know what? I, I don't know. It's a waste. I go for what dad, I go a 25 minute walk to hit the spot that I start. Yeah. And then I, from where we go in and then I fish back, it's a, it's a couple hours for me to fish back to where we come in. Like there's a, the, the farmers build a little bridge over the stream. It's not an easy walk either. It's sucking under branches and around trees oh, and, and stepping over logs. And, and in one spot, and you got your fishing pole in your hand where I caught my very first Brown. It's now washed away. It's a, it's a yeah. ravine. It's straight down. It's probably a hundred yard drop. And so you're walking on the edge of this, like it, it it's, the, dad hill. doesn't do it anymore. He goes and parks his butt on a, on a bend and sits and fishes on that bend and hopes that they're going to swim by. And then uh, I'll just go from there down and do the runs for maybe 200 yards and then come back and sit again until Todd gets down to me. And then I will follow him downstream 
I can't imagine him being patient enough to stay in one spot for long. If I'm catching fish, I'm there, buddy. I'll be out. You're moving. I'll tell you what. Last year, I started my spot. Scotty goes to his spot, and and I mean, Scott's only 20 yards up from me where he starts, which was Dad's old spot. Now that Dad doesn't come all the way back, and so I start and I'm I'm fishing, and Scott's pulling in trout, pulling in trout, and I gave my spot. I always catch one in my starting spot, and I didn't last year, and so Scott's going, get out here with me, get out here with me, and I'm going, no, no. And then finally, I'm, you know, and I'm doing that. How much split shot you got on? And then finally, all right, screw it. I'm coming down with you. And there is a, a long run to a back eddy, a big pool. And it, he was just pulling. And then when I joined, we just both started hammering him. And we pulled in what, dad, seven out of that pool yeah. in about an hour. So we weren't moving. Maybe more than seven. I mean, we were, we were, which is pretty decent, right? Like you're getting taps darn near every other time, but you've got to be able to set the hook and bring them in. So you get that one tap that fuels you up, man. You're in that spot because you know, that's a fish. And so it's going to take 20, 30 casts of no taps before I leave that spot because Absolutely. you know, he's yeah. there. He, he's there. It's like hearing a gobbler and, and all of a sudden it shuts off. You need to spend some time in the bush because you know that it could be walking right up he's there. Silent. Right. He's there somewhere. You know, he's there. <laughs> and so when you feel those taps, you know, there's a fish there. And if there's one, there's usually more. And that'll tell you, you'll catch the small ones first because they're tenacious and, and energetic and the big ones are lethargic. So you got to clear out the small ones to get the big one. I sent you a bunch of pictures before the broadcast and all those pictures I sent you were all 40 years ago when we were still searching trees or streams and none of them are pictures of the stream where we will go Saturday. They were all streams that we found trial and error. And you will see there's some really good fish that we caught some good numbers and some good sized fish that we caught both Browns and rainbows before that. I found that stream that we fish now for the last, I don't know, 35 years or so. But those were all streams that we found just from maps from leads and then just putting in the time fishing them. And, and yeah. some some were right close here. I can remember uh, in Catfish Creek, we often get asked, is there trout in Catfish Creek? Yes, there is, but they're hard to find. They're far and few between. you got to really work for them, and you got to know the good spots, the runs and stuff. Well, I put in the time, and there was a little feeder stream that came in. And so I used to fish that little feeder stream in the early spring, the same way, just looking for the holes and the runs. And I was catching some really nice pan-sized rainbows just for a nice supper. And uh, my buddy Ron, Ron Underhill, I said, come on, we, we got a couple hours. Let's just go down to Catfish and fish that feeder stream. So we just kind of split up and he come walking back up to me and he said, you said there's trout in this stream. I said, there is. I've caught trout in this stream. Why? You need bites or anything? And he pulled out an 18-inch rainbow and says, yep, you're right. There's trout in this here stream. And it was just a little feeder stream. And he was all excited. Well, a couple of weeks later, I decided to fish the mouth of that stream where it goes into Catfish Creek itself. When it, when it went in, it went into a run. It went into a really fast run and then slowed down to a pool. And I thought, okay, I'm just going to keep throwing my worm in that feeder stream, let it come out into the run, go down the run, and watch what it does in the pool. And I did that about five times. And then all of a sudden, the, the, it looked like the line had gotten caught in the run. And the line started to do a U floating down into the pool. But the line had come back. And I thought, oh, my worm's caught on a, on a rock or a stick or something. So I just reeled up slow. I didn't want to. I didn't want to jam the hook into a, a, a snag, so I just brought the line up real slow, reeling up until I come up and was almost facing me. And then I felt the tug, and holy mackerel, I set the hook. A fish had picked that up and not even moved. It picked it up, put it in its mouth, swallowed it, and it sat there. And when I come back up, there he was. And it turned out to be a five-pound rainbow, and that fish is mounted on Todd's wall to this, to this day. I got it mounted and in that run right in Catfish Creek. That was my biggest trout ever on Catfish Creek. That's incredible. Yeah. It's, that was the only fish I caught that day, too, really, to tell you the truth. Didn't need to catch any other ones no. when you're catching five-pound no. fish. So, That's yeah, they're there. But like I said, we would fish hours for one, one fish or two or three small pan-sized fish. Until we finally uh, settled on this one stream where Todd caught his very first brown trout. And after that, he was hooked. 
Literally hooked. Yeah, literally. literally. Yeah. No pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> and that was just last year, wasn't it? <laughs> That's many years of trying if it was. Yeah. That's dedication. Well, I don't have that kind of patience, Bill. <laughs> I didn't send you that picture, but I'll go home and find it and I'll send it to you. These, these, well, we can fun. use it for the next podcast. I can tell the story of catching that. There you go. I'd like to hear. Well, it's, you might have to because if, if you have a, a crappy weekend, weekend, then you're going to have to pull up old stories, not new stories, you know? <laughs> uh, rub it in, Bill. <laughs> Well, he's not rubbing in nothing. You'll be the one on the on the, the stream catching fish Saturday morning or Sunday, whatever the opening day is. And it's Saturday. 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 Yep. Saturday, yeah. Saturday so morning. bright and early, I expect uh, a plethora of text messages. <laughs> I don't have time when I'm fishing, when I'm hunting trout. I, I will send you, you a, time. <laughs> I will send you a picture of a nice flotsam. Oh, jeez. Okay. <laughs> Here's some wood. Oh, well, anxiously await. Yeah, you'll let you'll know how well Dad's fishing's going when you're getting pictures of log jams. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, look at how know. beautiful. That's the 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 bad hunter is a great photographer. That's it. <laughs> look at the sunset. Look at how nice this nature image looks. Look at I how well this bridge is. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when a hunter becomes a photographer. Why'd you give up hunting? No reason. Photography took over. Yeah, I wonder That's why. It. <laughs> I just uh, traded my gun for a camera. Oh, you're a conservationist. Change focus. <laughs> nope, you're just a bad hunter. <laughs> anyway, I'm going to get that? hate mail on that. I didn't say it. <laughs> we're uh, we're getting close. I know that we're as a topic of a conversation for another podcast, but we are very soon going to be talking about opening day of turkey on that too. Two. Make it happen. You got her. Yeah. I have not uh, gone for a drive that I haven't seen a tom in full strut or a field of hens. Or I saw 17 deer yesterday on my drive. And I can't tell you the number of turkeys I saw. It was incredible yesterday. Uh, and now, hopefully, today, we'll slow them they up. slow right down because yeah, yes. we need a couple of weeks of, Stop of slowdown. Yeah, exactly. So, Nope, agreed. But, Another podcast. Oh. Yeah, we're getting into some, some territory for some podcasts for sure. Absolutely. But I uh, appreciate the conversation tonight, and I wish you gentlemen the best of luck this, uh, this coming weekend. And anxious anxious to hear the stories that come out of uh, this weekend yeah. coming ditto yeah right on thanks bill yep. you'll, you'll hear from us absolutely good deal thanks guys take care and that'll do it for this week folks for the redneck country podcast i'm bill the almost guy tom and i'm todd and thanks for listening and folks if you want to be part of the podcast or you want to give us some feedback or really contact us about anything feel free to email us at podcast at theredneckcountry.com again that's podcast at theredneckcountry.com thanks for listening talk to you again next week <laughs>